Hi there. Before we begin our regular coverage, those of us at Enfocus would like to address recent events that have caused protest and violence in the United States and around the world. Uh, on May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old African-American father of five, was murdered by a white police officer who knelt on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, uh, while Floyd was handcuffed and held down by two other police officers. This is just the latest in 600 years of violence inflicted upon black men and women in the name of white supremacy. There is a common sentiment in the video game community that this is no place for politics, uh, that we should only talk about fun and escape from our often upsetting and unfulfilling world, but we could not be silent. Silence only helps the abuser, not the victim. In our silence we uplift white supremacy. In our silence, we put a knee on the neck of our black friends, family, and peers. We at Enfocus uh, and the Game Podular Network more broadly would like to affirm that Black Lives Matter and call for justice for George Floyd and the thousands of other black lives extinguished by police brutality. We commit ourselves going forward to be awake and loud because doing otherwise just isn't working. And with that, on with our regularly scheduled programming. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 115 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. Uh, unfortunately, our scheduled guest, uh, Tori Wassenaar, couldn't make it. Has some technical hitches that we hope will be resolved soon. Uh, hopefully they'll join us in a future episode. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about uh, XCOM 2 collection, Mutant Year Zero, a little experimental game called Lydia, and of course the big JRPG that released... Uh, last week, Xenoplay Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh, so with that, not much news, so we'll just jump into some updates from the previous episode. Okay, I guess the only update really is I finished Devil May Cry 3. Um, my closing thoughts on this is uh, just after we recorded uh, last week and uh, I was detailing about how much of an improvement it was and I, w- I was close to finishing. Uh, the last third of that game is gets really difficult. <laughs> compared to that uh, first two thirds. It was like such a massive step up, like some of those boss fights felt almost like Dark Soulsy in in the way I had to learn the the patterns. Um, I got to the end boss and was just getting crushed every time, so I was like, okay, well, I've spent all my currency on, you know, leveling up stuff, like my guns and and getting new abilities. I'll jump back onto uh, an easier level to help grind some orbs, because you can do that, because they carry across all the different difficulties, so I played through the first three levels and grabbed enough orbs to get a load of, like, restorative items and things like that, and then I jumped in and I beat the end boss first time. Go figure. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, yeah, closing thoughts on that is it's... uh, a massive improvement on the first two Devil May Cry games. It, as I said last week, it definitely feels like the game that I'd been promised that the series was. Um, I do think it's a little overlong, uh, thanks to the the repetition of some of those environments. But uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, whereas the others, I was just kind of lukewarm on, or, or for the second one in particular, felt pretty much nothing for it. So yeah, um, hopefully four gets ported. 
because uh, I'd like to play that on Switch. I'm going to give it a, a little bit of time, and then I'll I'll just play it on PC or or something else if if I don't get if it doesn't seem to be coming. Yeah, do you have any interest in revisiting these at all, Andrew? Zero. <laughs> what about the the fifth one? You you like the look of that? There's a fifth one. Yeah, it came out last year. Oh, uh, very highly rated. If you say so. <laughs> cool. So, just for any other updates, did you get anywhere else in, in the games you, you started last week? I've been playing Bug Fables almost this entire past week. The more I play it, the more I like it. I, I was a little on the fence last week, because there are some some issues that I mentioned. Uh, it's not perfect, but the more in I get and the more it distinguishes itself from Paper Mario, uh, the more I am enjoying it. Cool. So you you close to finishing it, or have you finished it? I still have a bit to go. Uh, <laughs> the deeper in I get, the longer the chapters get, as the game finds its its ambition and its scope. So it's taking mm-hmm. longer than you know one chapter a night, which is how it was going last week. Uh, <laughs> that that is no longer the case. But I, I expect okay. I will finish it next week. Cool. Uh, okay. So with that, let's uh, jump into what we've been playing, or what else we've been playing this week. Okay, so I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with a game that I've I've just finished called uh, Lydia. Have you heard about this one, or have you seen it on the store or anything? I think I know what it is, and I'm sure once you start talking about it, I'll know exactly what it is. Okay, uh, so this is a a very very short indie game. Um, in the description, it told me that it can be beaten 37 minutes, and that's entirely what happened. Maybe even quicker. It's more of a, a narrative uh, game than anything else, uh, and it's apparently based on the developer's real experiences and it's about uh, growing up in an abusive uh, alcoholic family where you're you're not really wanted. Um, Much of it plays out in the way of a a side-scrolling walking simulator. There's there's some light puzzle elements uh, scattered throughout Uh, but it all plays out through these like cute cartoony graphics that then take a a twisted turn the more you play. Uh, So you play a little girl called Lydia who uh, she's she gets sent to bed uh, by her mother while her dad's like halfway through telling a, a scary story. Um, in her room, she's she's still scared from the story, so she looks for her teddy bear for comfort. Uh, and he comes to life and, and leads her to a magical world hidden away in her closet, which is, uh, you know, from, from the description about the abusive family, that's obviously where she hides to get away from the scary stuff. Um, and then it plays out in a number of scenes. So you have uh, the first scene where the, the teddy introduces her to this fantasy world. They go searching for a monster. Uh, so you find the monster, and the, monster's, the monster is nothing but nice to her, um, but she's still scared of it anyway, so she, she wanders off. And then she finds a knight, who is basically her dad. Uh, I think it's a knight because, you know, she idolises him. Uh, but he's in in this form. He's also a raging drunk who, when he takes on the monster, gets very nasty. And th- there's some uh, language here, so this is definitely not a, a game you want your kids to play. In another scene, the like the next one, the teddy is apologetic for everything that happened the last time, and you know he's trying to assure her that you know nothing bad can happen to her, and you know each time it does and yeah it de- it deals with some really heavy stuff and you know like about what it's like to grow up in that environment there is a bit where she sneaks out of the house as a teen for example and she bump- bumps into a young happy family who spot that she's not looking 
too happy and ask if she's okay and whatever truthful statement you pick like I can't take anymore I need to get away your character just replies fine and yeah I, I, I don't want to go into it too much because uh, there is a, a narrative that's meant to unfold it is pretty hard-hitting uh, it's it's not very video gamey it's one of those where it's hard to hard to call because you know it's it's an interesting personal experience but it's not something that's going to uh, wow you if if you've lived this life it's something that's probably going to hit you hard and you know uh, that's something you should be wary of if you go into it yeah it also has a weird structure like uh part way through there's a, a title screen for chapter three even though there hasn't been any other clearly defined chapters <laughs> and there's also some choices you make along the way some of that is like uh, just about the way you respond to people uh which is like for example the first lot is inquisitive afraid or excited uh some of that changes and is part of a puzzle where you need to figure out the way to get to the next scene uh but none of it actually changes the outcome i, I jump back in immediately after uh to replay the final scene and chose the other option and no- nothing plays out particularly differently yeah an interesting little personal experience uh one i'm glad i've i went through but yeah how, how much i would recommend it depends on your mindset and you know um what you your childhood was like really yeah uh so yeah so that's lydia uh did you know what i was talking about that is the game i was thinking of and i definitely i recognize that moment where uh, you have mm-hmm. a lot to say and you want to say it and all that yeah. comes out is fine <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how i communicate with my family it's uh, pretty much how i communicate with everyone in the office i don't think i've ever told the truth to hey how are you feeling <laughs> i'm fine now uh Mutant Year Zero, you, you played this last year, I think. And I, I think you came away lukewarm on it. Pretty lukewarm, yeah. yeah. Um, so I sort of I went back to it uh, to play on Switch Lite. I, I sort of, I think originally I vowed I was going to continue my PC playthrough, but I don't know why I started it up on Switch Lite again. Uh, but this time it, it actually stuck. Uh, so just a couple of points. Some of the, the things I really do like about it is uh, I love the world it's set in. I know it's, you know typical post-apocalypse but i like i know it's based on an old board game so i i like what they've done with these humanoid animal characters in in ducks bowman etc um i've got a soft spot for this noir style storytelling even if it's really predictable but one of my favorite things so far about this story has been their like idle attempts at archaeology so uh for those that haven't played it or didn't listen to the the previous episodes where we did talk about this uh, it's in a post-apocalyptic world many years after you know the bombs fell uh, and a lot of these characters they go through areas and they see like little facets of, of of our lives and they make up these little narratives as they go along so my favorite was the story of Izza and Fala uh, who were star-crossed lovers that died in this particular area if you explore a bit once you've uh, dealt with the combat you'll find a, a shop with a broken sign uh, and you'll find out that Izza and Fowler actually stood for pizza and falafel. Uh, so it's just one of these like interesting stories they made up as they they travel through the world. And there's other elements to that where you go to a train yard and it's called the Iron Serpent because there's a train there and they don't fully understand what it was for or why it existed. Uh, in terms of the, the combat, there's a lot I loved about this. So, um, it took me a few battles to get out of that mindset of walk to the next area trigger the battle pattern that you experience with like other turn-based games i was i had not really got my head around the stealthy aspect which is uh, where you 
you know, you survey the area, you walk around out of sight, you pick off the stragglers where you can without alerting uh, their other numbers to pick off key units. I've enjoyed that element a lot. I like how that real-time stuff plays off against the turn-based stuff. Um, When it clicked, it was like, it it completely changed the game for me. There was um, a particular battle in uh, the early part that I was getting stuck on because I hadn't quite grasped that that was the the idea. And I think it was the first one with the... uh, the medbot, <laughs> uh, and how I had to focus on him first before I took out the others. Uh, now I know I remember you saying you were disappointed with the abilities, but I, I found the ones I've used have meshed together really well. Um, there's a particular fight that I can think about where I, I was definitely about to lose it, uh, and I took a 50/50 gamble on uh, one of the characters that you pick up later called Magnus, who has a mind control ability. Uh, I took this 50/50 chance on a on using mind control on him uh, and it lasted long enough for me to take down the boss and then I was able to hit the tank with uh, Selma's vines to lock him in place so I could get most of the damn you know health off him before I could finish him off but I do kind of wish it let me run with more of the abilities at the same time than it does Uh, so like for each character you pick up you can have like one major mutation one minor mutation one passive mutation assigned to your character each time it kind of means that I'm experimenting less uh, in the middle of combat, uh, but it does mean that I have to look at what range of enemies uh, I have in an area before I and, and select appropriately before I risk uh, accidentally triggering a large-scale battle. But yeah, I I do kind of wish it gave me the option to throw a few more abilities into the mix just to sort of experiment more on the fly because I feel like that would be more satisfying. Uh, I think I'm like maybe five or six areas away from the the end of the core game. I'm not sure if I'm going to jump into the DLC straight away. Was the DLC interesting, or was it just more of the same for you? It really does change up the strategy that you have to use. Okay. Because, um, like, in the main game, you can usually pretty well excise single enemies or mm-hmm. smaller groups of enemies from the main group, and that's the safest way to play through. Yep. Uh, I assume that's, yeah, it's sounding like that's what you did. Yeah. That's not going to work in the DLC. <laughs> Once you get one person's attention, everybody is going to come after yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> uh, is it shorter than the main campaign? Yeah, it's a bit shorter. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think it's the, the area that's off, off to the side that's like level 65 or something. I haven't, haven't dared to wander down there yet, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, as a, I, I guess it's a, a smaller, like certainly smaller than the other game I'm going to talk about uh, of, of its ilk. Uh, in fact, we can talk about it. Um, XCOM 2 Collection. Have you played any of this at all on any other format? I own it on PlayStation 4 because Newegg was selling it for eight dollars. Oh, nice. But I, I am yet to actually <laughs> boot it up. I bought it for the shelf. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so, uh, first thing I want to say is I, I love this game a lot. Uh, I think it's uh, a decent port. Uh, there are, you know, obviously it doesn't look as nice as other formats, etc., etc. Um, I will go into a particular thing where that becomes a problem. Not really a problem because of its turn-based nature, but it, it's something that's evident. Uh, I'll go into that very shortly. Uh, so the story... I didn't finish the first game, uh, but it didn't take me long to get up to speed. They do a good job of... of teaching you the lay of the land so uh the basically your XCOM lost the war in the first game uh and alien forces called advent are now running earth uh and the training mission is a rescue operation for you 
the commander from the previous game who's been locked in stasis, uh, held by the enemy, and you, you're you basically rescued by a guerrilla faction who used to work with you. That's interesting because, like, the previous commander you obviously failed, mm-hmm. so it's like, why are you busting this person out? <laughs> yeah, so... I, I, I get why, but it, it just raises the logic to this person already failed, so yeah. you're going to give them a second chance yeah (laughs) but also there's a a part of this where the aliens took you because of your tactical nous and they've implanted you with a chip to run simulations to learn from you so (laughs) i i really would have to finish the previous game to to figure out all all that's going on in that but yeah so in this one because of that instead of uh, running an international government funded alien defense force you are running guerrilla operations against an alien run government uh so uh the aliens are also plotting this thing unbeknownst to the the wider population called project avatar uh which is what you're battling to stop uh and its progress will like progress as your (laughs) its progress will progress its progress will escalate as you uh, play through the campaign and you can like slow it and reverse it by hitting the right missions at the right time uh, and this all builds into the uh, the whole base management system in here so although it's a turn-based uh, strategy game there is a lot of uh, i guess it's almost like like a management sim in a lot of ways uh, so between missions you're on a, a ship called the avenger which is like a mobile base that your forces are using for the hq and from there you have to sort of work your way around the world and build up relationships with other resistance factions and find resources and uh, the personnel to join your team. This time it's less about managing your finances from world organizations and about managing your relationships and expanding your network so you can get more resources to improve all your stuff. Um, Much like in the previous game where you had the HQ, the Avenger has lots of rooms that are filled with alien like debris that you need to find engineers to help you clean them up and then you can build facilities to give you new options Uh, in the previous game the buildings had to be next to each other in a certain way to get the best out of them here that doesn't matter anymore uh, although there is a power element that you need to consider and then once you get these facilities you can research new tech and equipment or new tactics and and things like that Um, and then you you know you, you go to the bridge where you get the map and then you can do your exploration and that's where all the missions start popping up so there's, there's a bunch of story missions you'll get missions while you're trying to scan an area for resources that'll just you know come up and interrupt your progress and you'll have to take care of that because it's you know it's time sensitive or uh and that that's sort of one of my f- first things with this game is that it it throws a lot at you that it's kind of overwhelming and um this is going to echo something I noticed in your show notes for Xenoblade, but uh, there's a lot, and I don't always know if what I've picked is the right thing to do at the right time, uh, and I'm not going to find out until <laughs> I hit a game over. Uh, I think some of that element is part of, because I started with the DLC turned on, uh, which I'll go into very shortly, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit overwhelming, but uh, I feel like I'm finding my feet, uh, and I feel like uh, it's one of those games where it starts off uh, fairly difficult to understand and there's a hump that you need to get over and then things will start seeming easier. Uh, so as 
for the missions themselves so you pick a squad of four soldiers and you go down and you take part in turn-based missions uh this one over the first one there's a new concealment mechanic uh which has been interesting to see how they manage this compared to like mutant year zero where your whole team can stay hidden until an enemy has been alerted so this way you can set up ambushes and then you can trigger the alert on purpose to pull enemies towards you and there's a lot of uh, cool little tactical things you can do with that each soldier gets two uh, two actions which is pretty part of the course for this sort of game uh, so you can do a movement and an attack or you can do a sprint into a place which takes up both your spots uh, and cover like with mutiny zero as well like plays a, a big part in it so you have to make sure you you're in good cover between half cover and full cover and all that sort of thing and you know work out your flanking maneuvers uh, you go into each mission blind uh, so you don't know where anyone is there is a character that has an ability but that's a, a dlc thing i don't know if any of the other characters can can learn that uh, hopefully that comes up uh, so this is where the difficulty comes in because you you drop into a level you have no idea what's approaching you and you can go through as carefully as you want uh, but if you get picked off from the wrong angle you're gonna be in a world of hurt pretty quickly so yeah so you you, you beat these these skirmishes and then you go back to your base there if you your units have done well you can upgrade them so they get uh they get promotions and when they get promotions you can pick between one of you can pick one of two skills uh, each time you can't undo it so you have to pick carefully and that way you can gear each squaddy to be like a, a specialist in, in certain things so uh, some of them will be like good at close combat as well as the long stuff so they'll have a sword just in case they get into tricky situations when they have the sword if an enemy runs by them they'll take a swipe if uh, you need to you don't have any ammo in your gun at that moment you can run over and and slash them and that takes off a good chunk of health uh, and also i think this was added with the dlc i read but uh, there's uh, team bonds in this one so the more that soldiers go on uh, missions together they'll they'll naturally grow a bond that's a really cool thing so you get extra benefits from that uh, there's another element i don't I can't remember if this was in the original but covert operations uh, so these are uh, little side things where you can send your soldiers off to do they're they're just like passive missions so you don't actually control anything they just those soldiers are taken away for a period of time while they go do something and a lot of the time they give you free free promotions from that if they're successful so uh, yeah, they come back and you can level them up and it's a good way to keep some of your like rookies ranking up a lot. Uh, the, the, there are risks with those covert operations, like someone could get kidnapped and you can try and save them later, or uh, there's a good chance they could come back badly wounded and you can negate those by spending resources or if you've got certain perks from your uh, like relationships with other factions, uh, that that's a whole little mini game in itself but it's a it's a good way to use the soldiers you haven't been using or to to skill up newbies in the wake of a a bunch of deaths or something and of course this package comes with all the dlc uh it's called when you start the game you get the choice of vanilla xcom 2 or war of the chosen when i googled most people said start with vanilla xcom i said in for a penny in for a pound and went with the dlc option but I did read up on the best way to set that up for a first timer. So there's, uh, it gives you a bunch of options. There's one called Integrated, where all the stuff that's in the DLC comes up organically as if you were just playing the vanilla one. Apparently, that's the hardest way to play it. So you can disable that and then tick the individual packs on. 
and that sort of makes them more story focused so it's just a, a story avenue that you go down uh, the war of the chosen dlc actually gives you more of a challenge so the uh, advent forces have three generals uh, who you know nothing about when you start uh, and then as you play you will learn more about them some of the covert operations will uh, give you progress on trying to find where they are uh, each of them controls a region they're also working to find you while you're playing the game uh, so when they hit uh, certain points they will like one of the generals will suddenly invade one of your missions so you you could have a, a mission under control or even it could be out of your control and then suddenly this super powered uh, space ninja will will jump in and just completely ruin your plans and that can happen at random so that is uh, it's pretty tense <laughs> uh, so I'm still only dealing with the first general the first the second one has just become aware of me uh, which is a worry uh, so I'm still in the Africa region I'm about to break out into uh, Europe and into America and yeah that that is a constant stress on top of a lot of stresses that you already have with this game uh, with the the enemies being aliens there's just so many different types of things that can surprise you so you've got uh, humanoid like genetic soldiers they're like a mix of humans and an alien you've got the uh, chimera who can they're like commanders who can then try and mind control your soldiers you can get gear to sort of negate that and uh, then there's like these snaky lizard men who can wrap around your, your soldiers if you're not careful and uh, take them out of the game for a couple of turns until you can shoot them off uh, the the combat is so varied that it's hard to know what you're gonna gonna go up against in each mission we're at the point where I am at the moment like the difficulty has just suddenly jumped so I'm I am still worried I probably should have played the vanilla game first uh, just because of that overwhelming nature but I, I do feel like I'm starting to even out I did have a mission yesterday where it felt like really unfair it was like a I had to go land, go hack a computer panel for information and resources, uh, but they only give you seven turns to do it, um, and there's no way to get to the goal without sprinting through, and when sprinting through you can't react to threats, so it's uh, I, I feel like that one was one where I, I couldn't play it naturally without like learning it and failing. Um, and of course, with the permadeath uh, in this, like that's that's part of the enjoyment. Like you want to like keep hold of uh, your best soldiers. You want it to sting when you lose one. Uh, and I feel like that was a mission that was not geared towards that at all. That was like it was a mission that was gearing me towards failure because it was impossible to achieve the goal uh, without a bit of experimentation. But yeah, uh, I. At this point, I, I'm enjoying it a lot. I lost my first soldier yesterday, and I'm still a bit gutted about it. I hate, <laughs> I hate having. I'm to that. start over. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm really trying not to do the restart unless I have a, you know, like a massive disaster where it wipes out my whole team for a failure. But yeah, just it's just the the overwhelming thing that's causing me concern at the moment because it's just throwing so much stuff at me, and I'm like I'm trying to. You know, scan an area to open up a resistance, and I get interrupted with something else, and that's that's difficult, and it's another distraction. Or uh, I'm about to, uh, 
you know, do the first proper story mission after the, you know, intro aside, and then I'll, I'll get interrupted before I can jump in. So there's that sort of element where you feel like you're spinning the plates, but like you can tell that's entirely uh, on purpose. <laughs> like they, they want you to be stressing uh, at this point. Can't wait to dig more into it. When I'm playing it, I just have this, like, you know, when you're just playing a game and you're like, Christ, I love this. Because it's just. It's just got a bit of everything. Like even though it's turn-based, it's it's tense. It feels uh, fast-paced. You never feel like you're safe. You've always got worry in the back of your mind that you're going to get sideswiped from from something. The way the combat plays out, like I feel like the first game did this, but they, they they're not afraid to take the camera down to to ground level to like show the the skirmishes happening in like dramatic camera angles. And the one thing, oh yeah, the one thing I didn't mention, of course, in the combat is the. Uh, hit percentages so whenever you get into a position where you can shoot an enemy uh, it'll tell you it'll give you a percentage of like how likely you are for that uh, uh, hit to land I had, I've had situations where like I've gone into a mission found the first enemy I've got the ambush set up and then they all miss their first four shots at like somewhere between 70 to 80 percent and it's just like come on man one of you like <laughs> sometimes you just feel like the percentages aren't working <laughs> it's okay. XCOM math, yeah. If there's an eighty percent chance to hit, it's probably closer to thirty percent. Yeah. Like I, I know it's a dice roll, but come on, man. <laughs> all four of you, uh, and with that one in particular, it was like you four are going to die, and you all deserve it at this rate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the music's fantastic. The the issues that I mentioned at the top about uh, performance wise uh, the DLC brings in a new enemy type called the lost and they're zombies they can cover a large amount of tiles uh, they hit hard and they come in en masse but they're really easy to kill uh, and how it works with those is it gets an entirely different like combat system so if you can hit one uh, it'll count it as a headshot and that will then give you another free turn so as long as you can keep hitting them, you can just keep mowing them down until you you clear to make a move. Uh, that has been an interesting take. It's kind of like a you know like a, z- a zombie scenario where you're trying to get somewhere and they're just trying to overwhelm you and you you're having to pick your your shots and hoping for the best so you can just keep mowing them down. But the more you mow down, the more will spawn because you're making noise and and that sort of thing. Uh, but there is a level where it was the first level where I met one of the War of the Chosen generals, uh, and they just summoned them in. And there was, there must have been like thirty in the map at one time, and that's when things started to get a little choppy. That was only during their turn. Like it, it doesn't hurt anything. Like you still see where they go. You don't lose any tactical element from that. But uh, yeah, it got a little bit choppy there. And I had another mission where there's like foliage on on one of the walls, and it kept flickering, which was kind of annoying. But uh, Overall, hasn't affected gameplay nor nor my enjoyment of it, and it's it's been few and far between so far. So yeah, I like it a lot. I'm going to keep plugging away at that. Uh, I think once I finish Mutant Year Zero, I'll probably move it on to the Switch Lite. It seems to perform well in handheld as well, by the way. And then just sort of play that as bedtime or ten minutes kill game because it's it seems pretty decent for that as well. Like you just make a few decisions and you know put it down, come back to it later. Uh, so yeah, so that's XCOM. Uh, did you have any interest in picking this up on Switch, or are you just happy with the PS4 version on your shelf? I still want to finish, not the first game, but yeah, let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> I, I still want to finish Enemy Unknown and Enemy Within, mm-hmm. uh, which is the reboot 
basically, which mm-hmm. is what I mean when I say the first game. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, but uh, I would like to have it on Switch someday, but it's probably going to be one I pick up after a dramatic price drop. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I like it. I, I think if they do any more updates, will be even better, but it, it, lo- it looks fine uh, and runs decently for the most part, uh, except for those couple of instances. So. Okay, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Uh, obviously, uh, Tori was going to be here to sort of prop my end of the discussion up because I, I didn't think I would get to it, and I didn't. Uh, I did think about booting up the 3DS version just to quickly refresh myself on the combat system, but I didn't get there. Uh, so this is a what's regarded as a classic uh, Wii JRPG uh, where you play a Shulk uh, who I assume most people just know him from Smash Brothers. Who uh, they he lives on a I guess it's like clusters an island. This it's a world where there's two uh, giants in an endless sea. One's called Bionis, which is full of green and uh, lush foliage and all that sort of stuff, and green fields. The sort of thing you you get from early JRPGs. Uh, sorry, the early game of JRPGs. And then there's Maconis, which is a uh, robotic mechanical world uh, with a an enemy hidden within uh, the humans are called Homs uh, and the Mechonis people are called Mechons uh, and the the Homs have this mysterious sword called the Monado that no one can seem to work out what it does uh, but then for some reason it resonates with Shulk when he grabs it in the middle of a, a raid and then he becomes its wielder from there uh, and yeah and then he goes off to save the world <laughs> I guess uh, typical JRPG stuff um, I know his I remember his friend gets kidnapped in one of those early uh, early sections of the game and, and that, that is part of his motivation to, to go forth uh, so you've uh, kidnapped yeah kidnapped I, I thought you got killed <laughs> Is Fiora not dead? I assumed she was oh, dead. Oh, I, uh, I can't tell you that, can I? <laughs> um, Otherwise, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, I might have just accidentally spoiled something for you there. Uh, but yeah, so... Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I, I, I was sure I'd seen more screenshots of Fiora later in the game, so I was like, is there going to be time travel stuff later on? What the heck's happening here? Uh, things happen. <laughs> uh, and it, it it gets interesting, uh, but yeah. So you've you've just got through that early portion. I don't know how far you are in now. Uh, I'm on my way to. Oh God, was it? Col- yeah, I'm on my way to Colony Six, which is being occupied by Mechonis now. I just mm-hmm. got Sharla, the sniper slash healer. I love that the <laughs> that the healer in this game is also a sniper. She's yes. just got this giant <laughs> rifle. She's my favorite <laughs> character so far. <laughs> yeah, I remember her. She was good. Um, yeah. So how are you finding it so far? I don't know how I feel about it so far, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was already going into it with mixed feelings uh, and with some suspicions because like, I played Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I did not like Xenoblade Chronicles 2, although uh, I have gone back and tried to replay it once so far. Uh and I liked it a little better, but playing this, I had many of the same feelings about the way the game is designed and the activities that are that I do in it, and how character development works and how the combat works. 
have many of those same feelings about about this game, which shouldn't be surprising because Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is this game's sequel. So mm-hmm. <laughs> straight off, just getting into the combat, just looking at that interface, yeah, I can tell this was a Wii game because <laughs> the Wii controller was very interesting. It didn't have very many buttons on it because in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you just use the face buttons to activate your character's different abilities, uh, which limited the number of abilities that you could have equipped on them. But I actually liked that because I, I do feel in this game, like even very early on, I am overwhelmed by the number of abilities that all my characters have, and I can equip up to eight of them at a time. And then there are sub-menus that I get into that have more abilities hidden in them that I'm just constantly shuffling through all this stuff in combat while this is a real-time 3D combat game. So I'm moving around with my character, making sure they're positioned correctly, then moving through all the commands with the D-pad, and it's already a bit much with a regular controller. I'm imagining playing this with a Wii controller. Uh, (laughs) It works. I'm always doing something, and I haven't felt yet like I've lost a battle or I've had an unfair thing happen to me because I'm struggling with the controls. Uh, it's just a lot which is kind of how I feel about Xenoblade Chronicles broadly and I'm talking about the entire series there's just (laughs) so much this game is just unrelenting and when I try to you know just follow it and understand the systems because like I I, I like to understand systems and how they work and I like to think about them and and the impact they have and on how the game plays in the long term it's really hard to do that in Xenoblade Chronicles because there's so much going on. Like, the Monado uh, lets Shulk see the future, and that is not just a thing that happens in the plot. It happens in combat. Mm-hmm. If uh, an enemy is about to use an ability that will kill one of your opponents, then Shulk will have a vision of it happening, and then you can you get eight seconds to stop it from happening by... Uh, healing or running away or putting a shield up or whatever it is you decide to do to stop it and then also when you're out in the field and pick up items sometimes you'll pick up an item that you don't have a use for yet but Shulk will get a premonition that I'll need this for a side quest later so (laughs) let's save that oh boy side quests let's talk about the side quests (laughs) there are so (laughs) many side quests And thank goodness for the exclamation points on the map that not only show you where the side quests start, but also where the things you need to pick up or where the monsters you need to kill are at. And from what I've read, the Wii version of the game did not have this. I can tell you right now, I would have quit right then and there. (laughs) (laughs) You don't give me literally hundreds, if not thousands, of side quests, and then don't give me any kind of interface telling me where I'm going to do these things at. Mm-hmm. I, I will not react well. And I have a friend of mine who years back played this and gave me a very negative reaction and a very stern warning about ever playing this game. Uh, and I, I totally know where he was coming from, knowing how this, this worked in the Wii version. Did the 3DS version have the the waypoints for the side quests? Uh, that I can't remember, but I, I don't remember having issue with the side quests. I know I had to Google like one or two um, mm. I can reach for the box here give me a sec let's have a look because you think they would add this on the back of the box yep no it doesn't 
Well, I don't remember having issues with it. Let's put it that way. Well, when I was in the first area, I, I, I tried to do all the side quests. I'd already read several articles published on multiple websites warning people not to do this because, you know, this game was originally only on Wii. It was very hard to get a hold of because it didn't get many copies published in the West. Uh, so, like, the number of people who have played this is pretty small. So this is... I guess the 3DS version, but I don't know how many people really played that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Switch version is the widest audience that this game is going to have received. Mm -hmm. um, and so that warning is out there for us newcomers to not try to do all of the side quests. And e even with that warning, I tried to do it at the start. And I quickly, within an hour, I was already hating what, what it was like. So I I'm doing what those articles suggest now. And I if I see a side quest, if I'm walking uh, through the map to my next destination, I'll keep an eye on the map. If I see an exclamation point, yeah, I'll run off and I'll go do it. But I'm not doing every single one uh, because it, it's hard to get them all for starters because in the settlements you go to where the quests are picked up at uh, some of them are available during the day some of them are available during the night some of them are available only for a couple of hours during the day or night so sometimes I'll spend a few minutes running all over a settlement picking up all the side quests then I'll leave and then I'll come back, and there will be more. And he's like, I was just here. Why don't <laughs> I have all these side quests? Uh, it, it, I, I'm not a fan of that system. And the same thing happens when you're out in the world. Some things you can only do at certain times of day. So I run through an area at a certain time of day. There's nothing. I come back later. There's exclamation points everywhere. So trying to do all the side quests in this, there is a quest log you can use that you can set that quest as your active quest. It will override uh, the ant trail that leads you to the next story beat and lets you focus on side quests, but it doesn't tell you what time of day you need to be there. <laughs> so uh, uh, luckily you can just go into the pause menu and make it the time of day you want to be. But still, if I was doing all these side quests, I would spend a lot of time in that time change menu just jumping around hour by hour trying to see is this the time it needs to be is this the time it needs to be is this <laughs> i belabor the point but just the side quests in this game are so tedious and obnoxious and they're filler like there's a surprising amount of writing like dialogue explaining the setup for why these quests exist why this person needs four sour apples that you can only find out in the field and then you go out there and you get them and then the quest just ends as soon as you get the apples you never take them back to the person you never see the, what they're doing with them they're purely an experience farming <laughs> mechanic that is why they are there I just all this running around I, I, I'm not a fan of it I, I wish that there was just some way to pick up all the side quests and just from like a localized job board I mm -hmm. mean, that wasn't even a new idea when Xenoblade Chronicles was new, and now we got games like Witcher 3. It's like, you don't you don't have to do that. Just go to the job board, and all the local quests are there, and you can just grab them en masse. Bug Fables does that too. Or even, I even compare that to Borderlands, which I'm playing concurrently right now. Uh, it has an entire challenge tab, which has very similar activities, like, you know, collect this number of items, uh, kill this number of enemies, and those are just there. 
integrated into the game and you get the rewards automatically when you do the thing. Uh, I just, the side quests don't add anything to this game for me and that's just how I feel about it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I can't remember having any strong feeling. I know there was a point where I was like, nah, not doing anymore. Uh, and then I only went back to them when I I found that the, the enemies were getting a bit spongy uh, mm-hmm. in that story path. So yeah, I can't remember. I think I did most of them in the end. Um, and I feel like if I uh, went back to areas, I would, you know, just open the menu and see what was possible or doable. So they must have been in there, maybe. But yeah, there there is a lot of uh, land to cover in this this game as well. Uh, now, I, I even on the 3DS, like some of the environments, I thought looked like completely gorgeous. I can imagine that they would look even nicer now remastered on the switch mm-hmm. uh, how, how's that looking it looks like it's a pretty good looking game like uh i looked at digital foundry's video which you know digital foundry did that thing they do and i, I got pretty disappointed with what i saw but <laughs> uh, about the resolutions the game apparently runs at but i'm now i'm actually playing it it looks fine it doesn't bother me any it's one of those games where like when you have an expert sitting there pointing at things it's like oh yeah i see what you mean and then when i'm playing the game it's like I don't even notice it yeah <laughs> but th- that's that's how i am though like I, I i actually had this experience i was playing enter the gungeon with a friend of mine and couch co-op on switch and he was complaining about the frame rate and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't even see it so uh that that's just me so y- you shouldn't take my endorsement as to the quality of this game graphically because i, I do not see those things <laughs> uh, but anyway uh, you mentioned um things starting to feel a little spongy mm-hmm. is that the word you used with spongy yeah yeah I, I i'm not encountering that yet but i i have a related problem which is like how everything in this game is just so incremental uh mm-hmm. like i descri- i described how many systems there are to keep track of and like there are three different types of experience points that your characters have to deal with there's like standard experience points and then there's like affinity points and then there's skill points which all develop different parts of the character so i'm just stockpiling all this stuff and i don't know how to distribute it and like i kill enemies and i get new equipment just dozens and dozens and dozens of pieces of new equipment and how I normally play RPGs is when I get these things, I stop and I look at how I can distribute them to make my characters better. But if I did that in Xenoblade, I would be spending more time looking at menus than actually playing the game. So, like, the compromise I've kind of found is, like, whenever I get to a new settlement, I will stop and I'll do all that stuff. Like, I'll I'll go through all the equipment I've picked up and equip the best stuff on my characters and I'll distribute their skill points and their their affinity points or and when I get a game over I will also do that Mm. Uh, but there just doesn't seem to be like a natural point at which to do that Uh, and that just seems to be kind of how Xenoblade is designed and a lot of people seem to really resonate with that how you just you just kind of play it Um, and when I am just sitting down and playing it and just focusing on what's happening in the moment, I enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles. I even enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles 2 when I do that. But when I, <laughs> I, I look at the long scheme of things, and I, I try to 
think about what I want to be happening in the future with my characters, and I try to make plans for how I want to develop this character, or what's going on with another character, and how I want them to be, like, maybe become a tank or a healer, I get overwhelmed, and I, I get discouraged, because it, it, it's not clear how to get them to that point, and it's also... There's so much that I have to do to make that happen. It's not nearly as bad in, as in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 with, with the blade progression charts that were in that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, my God. Every time I looked at those, I was just like, ah, <laughs> too much. <laughs> but th- that, that's how I play video games. I like to understand how the game works. And in Xenoblade Chronicles, there is so much going on at the same time that... To really understand how it works, it, it is beside the point because just so long as you you just keep running around and killing things and picking up all the blue dots on the map, you, you'll stay on top of things. Mm-hmm. But I like to focus. <laughs> I like to have goals and work towards things. Xenoblade Chronicles, it, it feels kind of inane to me. That that's my main feeling about it so far. I haven't gotten too invested in the plot. Uh, but I'm also not very far into the plot yet. I'm hoping that's going to be the saving grace of the game for me because, like, we had a brief discussion before this recording where you said you can't remember anything about the game, and I was like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that you played it. How can you not remember anything about it? And now that I think about what the game is, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, what is there to remember? (laughs) What you do in the first couple hours seems to be what you do in the last couple hours. It's just you're a much higher level. Um I, I don't know. Uh, this this game has a big following. It's got a lot of positive buzz behind it. But I, I'm not giving up on it. But I, I really don't know how to feel about it yet. And what what I do feel is is not encouraging. <laughs> uh, my my thing that I do remember is that it was like what you said last last week about Devil May Cry was like you couldn't tell which ones you liked and which ones you didn't. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't tell you you can tell me anything about them individually. That's how I am with this. Like I know that I liked it. I know that I liked the story. I know that I liked the characters. It's everything else. And <laughs> this is this is like more broadly uh, a thing that I'm finding like back in like the PS2 era, the Xbox era. Like games were not released at the the sheer rate that they are now. And there was, I felt like back then there was more time, like I was more selective about what I played. I tended to think more on it in between games. Whereas now it's just like every week there's the new big thing. So it's like you, you play it, you get it done, you move on. And I find like I'm not like thinking over the things in the same way. Even though the, the games that we play now are, are, are better geared to do that than, you know from those those older generations it's it's just i find that like a, a big mental block because i'm or, i'm always already on to the next thing and i don't retain the memory of the important parts of it um but equally it could just be because i'm i'm like 38 and getting older so, <laughs> so your choice old age or just the, the sheer rate uh, but that, that that's a thing i'm finding uh are you finding that at all like do you let go of stuff quicker i don't know i i feel like i'm I'm better at playing games now. Like, like when I was younger, I, I didn't have a lot of money, so I, I've talked about this before. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I, if I can get a good game that I can play and replay, get a lot of value out of it, uh, I used to really like that. 
but now with so many new games coming out and I can actually afford to get all of them, like, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I prefer this. I just feel like I'm consuming more but not taking as much in and not retaining as much. And yeah, that's probably an old age thing. Um, uh, well, I also spent over a decade playing World of Warcraft, so I yeah. just I kind of have a, a different perspective now versus what I had before, where like I, I actually am, I'm thinking more about like I, I've been talking about that a lot this episode, but I'm thinking more <laughs> about the games I play and trying to you know come out of them with a a more profound idea of what the game was mm-hmm. trying to do or trying to say. So. Like, I guess I just try harder <laughs> yeah uh, after playing World of Warcraft for so long and just being sunk in that that one game for a decade and just being sick of it uh, so yeah so th- th- that's where I'm coming from where I'm like I can't remember much about it it's just because I've played so many games since that it's impossible for me to retain and that's probably just partly the way my brain works as well so yeah so you're, you're unsure of it at the moment yeah I mean I, I hope I stick with it long enough to finish <laughs> it because I, I do with the way I'm feeling about it, with no distinct feeling about it, and not sure if I'm even enjoying it or not. Like, I'm only playing it on weekends. That's that's when I play big RPGs. I'm worried if I don't finish it before the next big RPG comes out that I won't come back to it. That's exactly what happened to Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Yeah, see, I nearly did that as well. I, I bailed to play something else um, and nearly didn't go back and then when I went back it was just at the point where the, the difficulty ramped up and then I was feeling myself lost because I you know I was out of sync with the systems and everything in the end I just turned it down to easy just to get it to get through it um I think to be honest because I've you know played this already normally once I, I'd probably just play this through on easy again um just as you know refresh and get through quickly uh yeah I I I, uh, I look forward to seeing you, how you get on with it um, and hopefully you can get to the uh, the big story stuff I, I nearly accidentally spoiled at the top for you uh, oh, I, I have already suspected what's going on with Mechonis <laughs> like, it, it, it's like in that first cutscene like there's three soldiers who are very three distinct characters and one of them mm-hmm. just kind of wanders away and the last we see him he's being confronted by the army and it's like hmm I wonder what happened to him <laughs> <laughs> I got the impression from that cutscene that Fiora was dead, but Mm -hmm. combining that that with my suspicions about what the Mechonis, the the true nature of the Mechonis, I'm not surprised anymore. (laughs) I remember uh, the other week seeing someone as well say, like, people should play this with the the Japanese language and the subs, and I was like, no, the, the, the English dub in this is is amazing and it was like the first time that i've come across it where they've they've given english accents to these characters that would usually you know just have uh typical american accents and it was like wow this is this felt really different and fresh and uh, i'm glad that's something that's kind of stuck uh with the series and i find a lot of charm in just that that cheesy english dub yeah the subs versus dubs people can be just obnoxious snobs mm-hmm. i just i i outright ignore them and like uh, okay you can see in xenoblade chronicles 2 why people would you know switch to the other one because that that was one that had a lot of uh, vocal stuff going on at any one time but even then like when i bought it people like the the guy in the shop was like oh i've heard you should turn off the english voice track i was like no that's part part of why i'm buying it because it's got this like it, it sounds different to everything else 
<laughs> that's why I want it. So yeah, so that that's Xenoblade Chronicles though. We'll uh, we'll come back to that and, and track your progress through it. Uh, it's a big game. I think it took me like 160 hours or something, maybe near <laughs> 120. Um, <laughs> but I was uh, I was doing that thing where I was grinding against tough enemies for a while towards the end. So and you don't do that. So I'll be interested to see how you go with that difficulty. So yeah, uh, so that's it. So uh, let's move on. Okay, we'll just do a little bit of a, a quick village visit. Uh, not much to add. I've, I've just finally got the, the last extension for my house now uh, and nearly cried at the amount I have to pay for that. But should I pay for it? I have the thing. And there's mean, no more updates. And <laughs> Once you do, you can do as many remodels on your exterior as you want. It's free. Mm-hmm. That's oh, like okay. the main perk for doing it. Ooh, okay, okay, that may, that that makes it a bit. So I'm still chipping away at that. Uh, I did have a funny story though. So uh, I I went on to uh, my wife's island, and I found out that in the clothes shop you could actually put your designs there on someone else's island. So I put up one of my Liverpool tops, uh, and then during this week, several of her characters have been wearing them. <laughs> Uh, to different effects so, so, what, some of them have been a bit stretched out but I thought that was hilarious, I didn't realise you, you could do that, it was something I found out by accident, I was like, okay I'll, I'll put this Liverpool top here, see what happens and then, yeah, that, that's bled through into her game <laughs> uh, and she hasn't had a chance to retaliate yet so that's been good um, Have you done any of the, the remodelling stuff yet? You were still not quite sure what you were doing there You mean as, as far as redesigning my island? Yeah yeah, I finally started doing that. It's added at least a half an hour <laughs> to my play every day. Like, I'm playing this game an hour to two hours a day now still, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. Uh, nice. <laughs> I don't resent it at all. Uh, I, I finished my commercial district. I, I moved my museum and my Nook's Cranny and my Able Sisters shop down into the southeast corner mm-hmm. of my island and now going up one cliff level to the northeast corner of my island is where all my my houses are going and i actually really appreciate how the game like moderates this uh because you can only move one building a day mm-hmm. so there's really no point to actually redesigning more of the island than matches the building you're moving that day so like after i've done my daily chores which like that that's what they are they're chores so <laughs> yard work simulator uh but uh once i've done that uh i'll go and i'll pick the next person's house and i'm going to move and then i will redesign the part of that northeast corner of the island where their house is going to sit at i've got like a stone fence marking out where their yard is with with pads running between all of them so it's going to be very regimented it actually it'll probably look very english uh but uh, <laughs> uh I'm I'm still in the process of doing that since I have ten villagers plus my own house, and I think I just did the fourth or the fifth house today moved. So I still got a week plus left of doing that. But I'm I'm enjoying it thoroughly, and even when I'm done with that, I've still got more island redesign plans I want to do. I want to make like a little forested area in the northwest corner that has a waterfall going off it down into the southwest corner, which is where there's going to be a campsite. That's where, mm-hmm. like, the actual campsite that uh, visiting villagers can stay at. But I'm going to beef it up a bit with a lot of, like, camp amenities. 
And then to the east of that, in between the campsite and the town hall, I'm going to build uh, a bamboo garden. Oh, nice. And, yeah. And like I think, like, uh, I, I'm, I have a broad plan, but I haven't actually looked at how everything fits together square by square. So I think I might have some extra space over left over after doing that. I, I'm going to build a lake, if that's the case. Just a big piece of water <laughs> which might nice. the game might not like so i might have to take that down but that's the current plan i uh i am just in full money making mode because i want that house paid off and then that's when i'll start moving everyone else so yeah that'll, that'll take me a couple of weeks i reckon uh, how many I, are you buying turnips at all yes yeah so that's how in, i paid mine off in, in small numbers but i haven't had uh good prices hmm. for a while so I'm, I'm barely scraping a profit for the past two weeks so, <laughs> uh, there is that thing where like if you have a consistent couple of days of downturn in prices then you expect a big spike uh, my wife had that like last week and then she just got still low prices that were barely turning a profit so yeah yeah like most of my prices always stay on the low side we've talked about this before the highest mine has been has been just a little over 200 but I've also been really lucky with my my switch friends online getting good prices and leaving their their town gates open so i can sell my mm -hmm. turnips at their islands yep. I, i've sold them for three to five hundred multiple times and i buy three thousand turnips every week so that's that's a lot a uh, nice. but uh that's how i've paid for everything and i've got like three million bells banked right now <laughs> so Jesus. i've got i've got money to throw around uh, <laughs> but uh i've sold wow. almost no turnips on my own island for that reason like it's always somebody else's island that I sell them at. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah, not too rich for my blood at the moment. So, <laughs> uh, just waiting. I I haven't even had good prices yet, which has been annoying. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll keep on keeping on. Uh, I'll get that house paid off, and then I'll start redeveloping the houses as I want. I have this idea where my shopping area is just in the middle, just as you step off the airport with a nice lead up to it and then all the houses are going to be like in a, an arch around that with bridges inwards. So, uh, I have this loose plan. I'm up in the hills on my own because that's how I relate to people. Um, and I've moved the campsite to the little peninsula thing that I was on previously. So yeah started the process a little bit yeah so that's it for this week we'll, we'll we'll catch up later when we've got more news okay andrew what are you playing this coming week i'm hoping to wrap up bug fables and then there's a platformer that i've had for a while an indie platformer actually it might be better to call it just a combat game it's called down to hell i'm gonna take a look at it i i hope it's good i i know almost nothing about it except I thought it looked cool <laughs> nice. and it, time permitting uh, I'm going to look at a, another indie game I've had for a long time called The Coma which is has a really good reputation oh yeah I've, I've, I've seen that I've looked at that a couple of times um, I picked up a an indie game called Liberated last week which is like a black and white noir comic booky side scrolling shooter uh, it was one of the ones that I picked out in the uh, last Nindy showcase so yeah hopefully gonna get time to to run through that uh, and that's it
hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, make sure to check out our Game Podular sister shows, uh, PlayState and Power of X. No prizes for guessing what consoles they cover. And be sure to check our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all this are in the show notes. Uh, we do have a Patreon, but for the moment, uh, we ask that you ignore that and donate to one of the many uh, Black Lives Matter charities. Uh, you can find those quite easily. They're doing their rounds on the socials at the moment. We can wait. Please direct your money to better causes. Uh, this episode was edited by Craig Windle. Uh, you can follow him at Craigity Craig on Twitter, and you can also follow his music career at Windmills at Dawn. Uh, you can follow both of us individually on Twitter too. Andrew is at Play Critically, and I am at Flame Rose Toast. <laughs> <laughs>